Welcome to Room 106. I'm John Gagan from Planning Magazine. Every week we enter Room 106 where all new planning information is located and extract the key things you need to know. This week we're going to take a closer look at a few of the big planning announcements by the government last week. A consultation on changes to planning policy to promote brownfield land development and another consultation on yet more changes to permitted development rights. We're also going to cover the long-awaited introduction of the biodiversity net gain requirement. And, as usual, we'll be rounding up the other key news from the past week. By the time the episode is over, you should be up to speed with all the key news from the planning sector. Okay, I'm going to seek out some of my colleagues who are already finding their way through Romano 6 to talk about all this. Right, I think it's time to enter. So, now I'm inside, and I need to try and find my colleagues. So here's our insight editor, Samantha Eckford. Hello, Sam. Hello. And there's Alex King, our reporter. Hello, Alex. Hello, John. And finally, I'm trying to find Toby Porter, our online editor. Ah, there he is. Hello, Toby. Hello. Toby, I'm going to start with you first. The government has opened a consultation that proposes changing a string of permitted development rights. So what exactly are some of these new measures? Well, there's a lot of them. The government wants to amend some permitted development rights to allow greater leeway for home extensions and extend the scope of PD rights, allowing residential buildings to expand upwards. It has said it wants these changes to increase house, house building and, quote, gently densify cities. It is also consulting on broadening PD rights to relax restrictions on the siting and size of electric charging points in order to facilitate the rollout of electric vehicle charge points. Okay, so lots of proposed revisions by the sound of it. Shall we start with the changes to home extensions? From experience of the uptake of the existing home extension PD right, which was, if my memory serves me correctly, introduced about 10 years ago, if these are similarly popular, planning officers should be expecting to deal with a lot of these applications. Well, firstly, the government's considering whether to increase the overall size limits on home extensions under the current PD right. Consultation asks whether the current limit for house extensions to cover no more than 50% of the existing curtilage should be removed. And the aim of that is to provide householders with further flexibility to extend their homes. It also suggests, in quotes, allowing single-storey wraparound L-shaped extensions that extend across the rear and one side of a home under the right and ask whether any limitations should apply for these. Secondly, it's proposing to allow larger rear home extensions. The consultation proposes allowing a single-storey rear extension on a detached house to a depth of 5 metres rather than the current 4. For all other houses, the maximum depth of rear extensions would be extended from 3 metres to 4, government states. And meanwhile, two-storey rear extensions would reach a depth of 4 metres rather than the current 3. Volume limits on home roof extensions will be removed in the third change. 
There are several proposed revisions relating to roof extensions. One of the most significant ones appears to be that the maximum roof extension size limit of 40 cubic meters in the case of a terrace house and 50 cubic meters in all the cases would be removed so that householders can convert as much of their loft space as is available. And how about the upward extension PD rights? So they were only introduced a few years ago, but the government is already looking to revise them. Yes. One of the most notable changes is that an age restriction on the homes to which the upward extension PD rights would apply would be relaxed or even scrapped. The consultation states that an existing suite of permitted development rights under Class AA of Part 1 and Class A, AA, AB, AC and AD of Part 20 allow for the upward extension of buildings to create new homes and provide additional space for growing families. But the current rights cannot be used if the building dates before the 1st of July 1948. The consultation suggests either making that date 1930 or having no limit at all on the age. This change, in quotes, would bring more buildings into scope that can benefit from the rights, it adds. The consultation also seeks feedback on the effectiveness of the PD right that allows blocks of flats to extend upward in the fifth revision. The right currently allows the addition of two storeys, up to seven metres in height that is, for buildings that are less than 30 metres high. But the government says it has, in quotes, received feedback that this PD right can impact on leaseholders who own a flat within one of these blocks of flats where the freeholder is undertaking an upward extension. It says it is, in quotes, therefore seeking feedback on the effectiveness of this PD right, and in particular, whether any of the existing limitations impact on leaseholders who own a unit within the block of flats. It adds that this, quotes, will provide important evidence so that we can understand any impacts and, if necessary, consider further safeguards. In addition, an age restriction on the PD right, allowing certain commercial and residential buildings to be demolished and rebuilt as homes, would be relaxed or even scrapped. This PD right, introduced in 2020, does not apply if the original building was constructed after 31st of December 1989. The consultation suggests removing this limit, but to protect old buildings, we propose that a new limitation is introduced so that the permitted development right does not apply to buildings built before 1930. OK, can you tell us about some of the changes concerning electric vehicle charging points? Yes. Firstly, the government wants to relax restrictions on the siting of electrical vehicle charging points. A current PD right allows charge point infrastructure in off-street parking areas without the need for a planning application. Currently, for charging points on walls, known as wall-mounted outlets, the PD right does not apply where outlets would face onto and be within two metres of a highway. For freestanding charge points, or electrical upstands as they're called, the right does not apply where the installation would be within two metres of a highway. So, the consultation proposes changing the PD right to allow wall-mounted charging points and electrical upstands to be installed anywhere within an area lawfully used for off-street parking. Secondly, government wants to allow larger 
electrical vehicle charging point equipment to be installed without needing a planning application. The consultation proposes that the PD right governing the installation of charging equipment should allow the installation of a unit for equipment, housing or storage cabinets and bigger or more powerful EV upstands up to three metres high. But this would be subject to certain restrictions such as only applying in non-domestic off-street ground level car parks and only applying to the installation of no more than one unit per car park. Okay, and what about the changes around heat pumps? Firstly, could you explain what exactly are air source heat pumps? Air source heat pumps work exactly like the reverse of a fridge. Instead of cooling what's inside and throwing the heat out, they bring heat from outside and put it inside. There are non gas fuel way of heating homes. The PD right governing the installation of air source heat pumps would be revised to relax limits on location, size and numbers per home. Currently, an air source heat pump must be installed at least one metre away from a property. But the consultation suggests removing this limit, saying the restriction was really, in quotes, a blunt proxy for noise and is not necessarily as long as there is an upper limit on the noise. In addition, the government proposes relaxing the current restrictions, allowing just one air source heat pump to be fitted per home or block of flats. The new right could allow for up to two of the devices. Okay, that's two per home. Per home, exactly. Yeah, so that's a lot of changes you've just been through. Uh, what's the reaction been in the sector so far? Well, planning and development sector commentators have raised concerns about PD rights producing poor quality housing and inadequate infrastructure. Royal Town Planning Institute Chief Executive Victoria Hills said that many homes created through these rights are poor quality and have little access to schools, GPs and playgrounds. Melanie Leach, Chief Executive of the British Property Federation, said that only a small number of buildings were likely to be suitable for homes as a result of these changes. Okay, Toby, thank you very much for that summary. That's really helpful. Sam, turning to you, you've been looking at these national policy changes that the government started consulting on that aim to promote brownfield lands development. So what exactly is the government thinking of here? Firstly, the government said in a consultation published last week that it wanted to change national planning policy to make clear that when considering planning applications, local planning authorities should give significant weight to the benefits of delivering as many homes as possible, especially where this involves land which is previously developed, so brownfield land. The consultation document proposes a change to national policy to make clear that local authorities should be, and I quote, less bureaucratic and more flexible in applying policies that halt house building on brownfield land. So this includes those um, that relate to the internal layout of the development in circumstances where they would otherwise inhibit making the most efficient use of a site. The document adds that this would extend national policy relating to the consideration of daylight and sunlight and the efficient use of land when determining planning applications. Although national policy would continue to expect that new development would provide acceptable living standards. The document goes on to say that the proposal does not remove legal requirements nor the importance of other considerations relating to beauty or undermine wider considerations of character as part of the plan making process. Okay, so that sounds like quite a significant policy change that's being considered there. Was there anything else in this um, 
that they're proposing to change around brownfield development policy? Yes, there was a further um, fairly significant proposal. So the consultation document proposes that 52 local planning authorities in England's 20 largest cities and towns would be made to follow a new brownfield presumption if house building in their area drops below expected levels. The consultation seeks views on this proposal to require the 20 most populous areas in England to apply what it describes as a presumption in favour of sustainable development in respect of previously developed land. So this would be introduced via a change to footnote 8 of the National Planning Policy Framework and would only apply in cases where authorities score 95% or less on the government's annual housing delivery test. So according to the consultation, this would apply to the 19 urban local authorities in the largest cities and also to all 32 London boroughs plus the City of London that are currently subject to the urban uplift. And the policy change is proposed to align with the publication of the 2023 housing delivery test results. So, of course, we've just had the publication of the 2022 results just before Christmas. Do we have any expectation of when the, um, the 2023 results are coming out? Uh, not as yet, no. No, OK. And how's the sector reacted to these measures? So the proposals were met with a fairly lukewarm response, um, with practitioners warning that the approach was not significantly different from what already exists in national policy. They also said that this could place an increased burden on local planning authorities. They warned that it may only make a minor difference to housing delivery and also called for more resourcing to support the implementation of the plans. Okay. As ever with these policy changes, there are always worries about local authority planning resources because um, they have to take on these uh, new responsibilities and that that requires time and um, increased manpower. So is there anything else beyond the brownfield land proposals in this consultation? There is, yes. The consultation also asks for views on the government's proposal to change regulations so that fewer applications are referred to the Mayor of London for determination. The consultation proposes increasing the threshold for the number of homes over which the Mayor of London can intervene and determine applications. So just to explain, under the current system, applications for 150 homes or more are automatically referred by London boroughs to the Mayor for his consideration. But in this consultation document, the government said that it was, and I quote, aware that in some instances this threshold is considered to be too low, requiring what may amount to duplicate interactions. And was there anything else among the announcements last week beyond this actual consultation? Yes. So at the same time, the government published its government commissioned review of the London plan. The review found that 60,000 fewer homes had been built in the capital over the past four years than set out by the strategy, and that the number of dwellings granted permission each year in the city is falling, It also identified an increasing trend of overturned appeal decisions in the city. And how's the mayor reacted to this? Not positively, I'm presuming. Yes, that's right. So a spokesperson for the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, told us that the review was, and I quote, nothing more than a stunt from government to distract from their abysmal record of failure. It's a fairly strongly uh, worded statement there. The spokesperson also said that Calm was actually outbuilding the rest of the country and that housing completions in the capital has, in fact, hit the highest levels since the 1930s, according to the government's own data. They also said that London's record housing delivery was built almost entirely on unlocking brownfield sites, added that the government had repeatedly ignored industry calls for greater investment in brownfield development. So, yeah, not a particularly positive reaction there. No, unsurprisingly. It's certainly not the first time there's been a, a row between the um, the current London mayor and um, who's of course a labour who's, who's of course Labour and a Tory housing secretary. 
Okay, thank you very much, Sam. Alex, now turning to you finally, you're going to be talking about the long-awaited introduction of biodiversity net gain. So we've been waiting a very long time for this. What actually happened last week? So net gain went live last week after almost three years of waiting. And this means that from now on, developers will be required to deliver at least a 10% gain for nature on major development schemes. So the way that this went live was by the government tabling what was known as a statutory instrument to Parliament on the 17th of January. This essentially commenced the requirement for major developments on Monday the 12th of February and small sites, i.e. sites between one and nine dwellings on the 2nd of April. So the requirement is currently only live for major schemes and goes live for small schemes on the 2nd of April. Okay, so we've got to wait a bit longer for net gain to come to force for these smaller sites. So that's between, for housing, that would be between one and nine dwellings. That's correct, yes. Okay, and alongside net gain actually going live, the two government departments' concerns, that's the Leveling Up and Housing Department and DEFRA, they've published a, a series of documents and updates to help councils get to grips with the new requirement. Can you tell us about some of the key updates that our listeners should be aware of? Yeah, so perhaps top of the list for Room 106 listeners is that new national planning guidance has been published. So last week on the 14th of February, the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities updated planning practice guidance, which had originally published in November to help councils and developers meet the requirement, as you say. Among the key changes in the final guidance was clarification that plan makers should not seek a higher percentage than the statutory objective of 10% net gain unless justified. According to DLUC, to justify a higher percentage in policy, plan makers will need to provide evidence on the local need for a higher percentage, local opportunities for a higher percentage, and any impacts on viability for development. Now, one commentator also pointed to the clarification the guidance provides on what's known as the de minimis exemption. This exemption applies to any development that does not impact a priority habitat and impacts less than 25 square metres of on-site habitat or five metres of linear habitats, such as hedgerows. This same commentator pointed out that the PPG provides clarification about the application of the exemption, including a couple of kind of worked through illustrative scenarios for determining whether the exemption applies and what information should be provided to the local authority by the developer. DLUC also updated its viability planning guidance on the same day, so on the 14th of February, adding BNG as a material consideration for viability assessments while DEFRA published the Biodiversity Gain Register and its statutory biodiversity credit sales service on the 12th of February. So those are both now live as well. So can we expect any potential problems or snags in these early weeks and months? Absolutely. Legal experts have warned of teething issues and initial planning delays as a result of the requirement coming in. One planning lawyer we spoke to suggested there could be a slowdown in planning applications highlighting that developers would have been rushing to submit their planning applications in the lead up to the 12th of February, and that we can now expect planning applications to fall temporarily as developers and local authorities get to grips with this unfamiliar regime. The same planning lawyer also warned that there is an initial shortage of registered off-site land on the BNG off-site register, 
which will make the purchase of biodiversity credits more expensive and could stretch developers as a result. The commentator also said they expected to see a new source of planning objections, with developers being accused of underscoring existing habitats and overscoring proposed enhancements. This would be complemented by what they called a chronic lack of local authority resources to monitor and enforce habitat enhancement and maintenance. So we could see a lot of strain becoming exacerbated at councils and developers. A second planning lawyer agreed that the requirement could put local planning authorities under even more strain, pointing out that the government's BNG guidance identifies all sorts of things that planning authorities will need to review and approve as part of approving a planning application. These are things like a developer's biodiversity metric calculations, habitat surveys, plans to sell on-site gains, and the gain site register itself. All of this will inevitably place more administrative burden on already stretched councils, diverting officer resources from other planning application-related matters and potentially causing delays. Has the government published anything else significant in relation to net gain that we haven't already spoken about? Yes, so DEFRA has published a list of what's known as responsible bodies with whom developers can enter into legal agreements to secure BNG. So to provide a bit of context, conservation covenants created by the Environment Act in 2021 are a kind of voluntary legal agreement which helps secure the conservation of natural and heritage features of a landscape. According to DEFRA, landowners can use a conservation covenant to, among other things, fulfil their duty to secure biodiversity net gain. A landowner must enter into a conservation covenant with what's known as a responsible body. DEFRA finally published its long-awaited list of responsible bodies earlier this month. However, the list currently only names one organisation, Government Conservation Agency Natural England, which has said it does not intend to enter into any conservation covenants linked to BNG. Commenting on the body's inclusion on the list on a LinkedIn post at the beginning of February, Natural England's Principal Advisor for Net Gain, Nick White, indicated that the agency would not be entering into biodiversity-related conservation covenants, saying that Natural England, quote, won't be a responsible body for biodiversity unit supply. We asked Steffer about this, and in a statement, it said it was considering a number of other applications from organisations seeking designation as responsible bodies. We asked Steffer why Natural England wouldn't enter into BNG-related conservation covenants, but the department didn't respond to that particular question. However, according to a commentator we spoke to about this, one potential negative consequence of there being essentially no responsible bodies on this list is that it will basically cause problems for councils wanting to put any of their land on the biodiversity gain site register. Just to provide a bit of context, before you can put land on the site register, you have to enter into either a Section 106 agreement or a conservation covenant if there's a responsible body to enter into it with. Councils can't enter Section 106 agreements with themselves, so they have to rely on conservation covenants. But the effective absence of any organisations to enter into these agreements with may mean that they have to set up special purpose vehicles to do so, which adds even more work for them, essentially. Okay, thanks very much for that, Alex. So now you're going to bring our listeners up to date on some of the other key news stories from the past week, right? Yeah. First up, changes around planning rules for short-term lets, 
including a new use class and new permitted development rights allowing homes to be converted into such properties without needing a planning application, will come into effect this summer, the government has confirmed. In other national policy news, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak announced cuts to PD right red tape to help farm diversification. Sunak has announced plans to relax PD rights for agricultural conversions in a bid to aid farm diversification, the government has said. Elsewhere, a High Court judge has found that planning inspectors erred in law in demanding the softening of net zero policies in West Oxfordshire District Council's 2200 Home Development Plan, concluding that their interpretation of a written ministerial statement was plainly wrong and it infected the entirety of their analysis. In other news, a planning inspector and Waverley Borough Council's head of planning have deleted social media posts liking a comment by a consultant about a planning inquiry in which he was representing the developer and that the inspector was presiding over, prompting a residence group to question the official's impartiality. And finally, inspectors have issued their final report on Places for Everyone, the long-awaited joint spatial strategy prepared by nine Greater Manchester authorities, in which they gave the plan the green light a decade after work began on it. Okay, thanks very much for that, Alex. More information on those and... The other stories that we've spoken about today can be found on planningresource.co.uk. I'm going to leave room 106 now before the government publishes any more consultations that we have to wrestle with. Well, that's another fortnight of news summarised. We'll be back with a bonus edition next week when we take a deep dive looking at a significant court ruling on a long-running estate regeneration scheme that is set to make life difficult for developers. In the meantime, if you aren't a Room 106 subscriber already, don't forget to follow us wherever you normally get your podcasts. And to get a daily bulletin of planning news plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. If you haven't already, don't forget to enter our planning awards and give yourself and your team the opportunity to get the recognition that their work deserves. The deadline is 29th of February, so that's next week. Our thanks to producer Till Owen from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink. And thanks for listening. See you next week.